open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And we find in this passage today, we're looking at a very powerful message for everybody in the church. I think it is, it's a soul-searching message because this really gets down to the inside of us and finds the motivation for why we serve the Lord, why do we exist as a church. It's really the essence of church work in the world. And I think there are a lot of people that are confused about the church's work. And some of you that do have a religious background, you may think that the purpose of our meeting here today is for evangelism. That we hold these services for the purpose of evangelizing the lost. And so therefore we should have an evangelistic message every time that we preach, especially on Sunday morning. And I do believe that it is good for us to speak in an evangelistic way. I think it's good for us to give an appeal for people that don't know Christ to receive him. And we do want to invite lost people to come to the church. We want to give people the gospel. But the purpose of a church service is not primarily for the lost. The main purpose of, of meeting here today as God's church is for, the, is for building up the faith of God's people, for people that already know Christ. And the Apostle Paul speaks of this in the book of Ephesians when he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so the work of a minister is to teach Christians, to teach them to minister and to help them to grow in their faith. And as it says in the next verse, if you look this up in the book of Ephesians, you'll find that the very next verse talks about the necessity of growing in the faith so that we aren't confused by people that teach false doctrine. And so the obvious place to do that is in the church. Ministers minister in the church. And God's people meet together for instruction. And we are here primarily today to receive instruction from the Word that will help you in your everyday life as a Christian. And in this passage that we have before us, there's great instruction about what the Lord expects from his people as they go about living in the world. There's a ministry of evangelism, and that's carried on mostly by you as you go out from the church, as you uh, live with your family, as you associate people with uh, your friends, as you work in the workplace. You are to be a person who evangelizes the lost, gives them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really the heart of this passage. And the main thought of it is found in verse number 13. Jesus says, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus came into the world to deal with sinners and to bring them to faith in him and to save their souls from destruction. And this message that the church gives as it goes out is the one that you should be equipped with so that you have all the information that you need, you have the strength that you need, you have the courage that you need to go out there and speak to people about Christ. Now, as we look into this passage, Matthew has chosen himself as an example of someone who desperately needed the gospel of Christ. Now, we want to read the scriptures and think again on this subject that we began last week, sin sickness. Now, if you'd stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 9 and beginning in verse number 9. 
And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. We ask you, Lord, that you'd open up this passage before us and help us to clearly understand what you'd have us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is really a, a, a good passage of Scripture, a great one, because when we look at it very closely, we find the answer to some very important questions. Whenever we read the Scriptures, we, we do want to make sure that we don't isolate one part of the Scriptures from another as, as if there is no connection to it. And this part that we've just read today has a very definite connection to what has gone on before. Now, in the first part of this chapter, Matthew told the story of a man who was paralyzed. Now, as we looked at that a few weeks ago, we had to go to the Gospel of Mark and also to Luke to find the details of the story. But we find a man here who was paralyzed, and he came to Jesus for healing. And if he had been able to walk to Jesus, it really would have, wouldn't have made any difference because there were so many people that were following Jesus around, so many people that needed to be healed, that often it was hard to approach him. And in this story, we find Jesus teaching in a house in Capernaum, and there were so many people that were packed into that house that even if this man was able to walk to Jesus, he wouldn't have been able to get there. There are so many people in the house listening that it was impossible to get another person in. But there were four friends of this man that was paralyzed, and they put their friend on a stretcher, and they went up on the roof of the house, and they tore off the roof in order to let this man in right down into the presence of Jesus. Now, the most important part of that story is in verse number 2, where Jesus said to the man, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And so before the physical healing, God took care, Jesus took care of the sin problem. And what he did was to forgive him of his sins. And when Jesus made this statement that his sins would be forgiven, that was like setting off a bomb in the room. Because there, Jesus was making the claim that he is God. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And this is one place of many in scriptures where Jesus is making it very clear that he is God. He has the power to forgive sins. Now, th that's important to this next part that we've just read. Because now Matthew gives us a demonstration of the extent of the ability for Jesus to forgive sins. Is it possible that Jesus can forgive the worst of sinners? And is it possible that Jesus can do something with the very worst of cases? How about people that are just too far gone, people that society has abandoned, and people that the religionists say that there is no way that this person can be saved? And that's why Matthew gives a personal example 
because he is one who was truly sick from sin. He was sick from sin. And we spent our time last week discussing this. Uh, Jesus healed from the worst physical diseases. We've seen him heal lepers. He can heal the blind. He cast out devils out of people. But the worst sickness that anybody has is to be sick with sin. And no matter how physically fit that people are, all of us are infected with this disease of sin. Sin ruins the soul. Sin brings physical death. And worst of all, sin separates us from God forever. And sin sends our souls into the eternal punishment of hell. And so what if... Jesus is able to heal from sin sickness. What if, what if Jesus is able to tackle the very worst of cases? Well, that would tell us then that all people have hope in Christ. If he can save the worst of sinners, it means that anybody can be saved. Well, this might be surprising information to some of you, but Matthew was a worst case. If you were to pick out someone who was the worst person in the eyes of the people... Matthew would be that man. Everything was wrong about him. In that self-righteous Jewish society, politically he was wrong. He was socially wrong, religiously wrong. Everything about him was wrong. Matthew, in the eyes of the people, was a despicable person. And that stems from his character. He had abandoned his own people. He'd become a traitor. He, he was a publican. That means that he was a tax collector. So he was a collaborator with the Roman, uh, the Roman government against his own people. He had abandoned the Pharisaical religious system. He cared nothing at all about their laws. He didn't care anything about their teachings. He wasn't seen in the synagogues. He wasn't accepted there. And so he didn't listen to the teachings of the religious people. He was socially unacceptable because of that connection that he had to the Romans, and of course, uh, what I've just said, and becoming a traitor to his own people, he was socially unacceptable. So he was a pariah in that society. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. And so what Matthew did was to seek out his friends among other traitors that were just like him, among other sinners that were just like him, who also cared nothing at all about the religion of the day. And so if anyone was a low-down, sick sinner, Matthew was him. And remarkably, amazingly, this is someone that Jesus chose to be a disciple. Jesus chose his companionship. And he came and he healed him of that sin sickness by forgiving him of his sins. And when he called upon Matthew to follow him, immediately the Scripture tells us that Matthew got up from that receipt of custom where he's collecting the taxes. He abandoned all of that, and he began to follow Jesus. Now, that's where we pick up the second part of this story today. Because Jesus can save the worst of sinners. He takes care of the worst cases. That means there's hope for anybody who's in the world, anybody who thinks that they're too far gone, there's no way I can go to heaven, Jesus is able to heal you of that sin sickness. But the next part deals with people who have never seen themselves in Matthew's shoes. These are people that are on the other side of the spectrum. These are people who are what they thought were the good guys. And so they never realized that they were sinners. They always thought that they were good enough. They didn't think they had any sin sickness. They would never go and ask for healing. And so what they did was to constantly criticize others that they thought were worse than them. And this is the case 
of these hypocritical Pharisees. These are people that are filled with pride and prejudice. In their eyes, they are the good guys. And so in the 10th verse, the scripture says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners. Publicans, that's the tax collectors. Publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, as I mentioned last week, and we learned from the book of Luke, that this place where they were meeting was Matthew's house. When Matthew became a Christian, the first thing that he did was to invite everyone that he knew to come to his house. And he brought them there, invited them there so they could hear Jesus and be told about how they could be saved from their sins. So who did Matthew invite? Well, he invited the only friends that he had. He didn't ask the Pharisees to come because they wouldn't be caught dead in this setting. Uh, these sinners were much too vile for them to associate with. And so the Pharisees did what they always did. They sort of hung around the outside, and they sort of gazed and looked to see what was going on. They observed what was happening. They watched the dinner, and they went on and they criticized. Now, in this, we see their conceit, the conceit of the Pharisees. Their pride and conceit was that they were already holy. They thought that they were already good enough for God's kingdom. The Pharisees are this self-righteous crowd. They, They would never seek Jesus because they really don't believe that they're sick. And they're puzzled by this very basic information that Matthew had already received. Matthew understood where he was and why he needed Christ. He stayed away from the synagogues. He didn't accept their teachings. And he knew far less about the laws of Moses than the Pharisees did. But here is a person that the Spirit of God had touched his heart and he understood what the hyper-religious crowd did not know. He was a sinner. And Jesus was the only one that could bring him out of that misery of sin. But they were just too proud to recognize it. They were too prejudiced against other people, those that were worse than them, too busy looking down their long noses to realize why Jesus was even there. And so we notice this in the question that they ask in verse number 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? The Pharisees are always observing. But we notice here that they didn't confront Jesus directly. Now, they thought that the disciples were easier prey Pharisees had heard Jesus speak the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at that in chapters 5, 6, and 7. They knew that Jesus was sharp. They knew that Jesus knew the Scriptures, and he was a very hard person to argue with. But these these disciples, according to the Pharisees, they are unlearned, ignorant men. And that enigma of being unlearned and ignorant started to become a real problem for the Pharisees, for the Jews in general later. In Acts chapter 4... After Jesus had been crucified, Peter and John were preaching, and these two old fishing buddies that weren't scholars, the the Jews heard them preach, and they saw them heal. They heard them quote Scripture, and they took note of them that they were unlearned and ignorant men. In Acts 4.13, the Scripture says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. But in this scene, the disciples are just getting started. It hasn't been long that they've been called out to follow Jesus, so they don't know very much yet. 
They're just now getting their feet wet. And so they appear to be very easy prey for this conceited group. And so the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus' disciples, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? And so do you see how they distance themselves? They're not bad like the publicans. They're not sinners like they are. Why does your master eat with sinners? In other words, if he's so good, then why doesn't he come and join us? Why doesn't he make us his friends? Why doesn't he hang around with us? Because we're the holy, righteous crowd. Why not with us instead of vile sinners? And what they were doing was they were condemning sinners and they were condemning Jesus. And this was the condemnation of the Pharisees. And it's an indictment against Jesus and anybody that's associated with him. It was condemnation of the publicans, of course. They hated them because they were the tax collectors. They didn't think there was any redemption for a person like that. It was condemnation of the other disciples. Peter and James and John, they weren't as bad as Matthew. They were fishermen, not tax collectors, and so they had a somewhat respectable occupation. But the Pharisees had lost whatever respect that they had for them because they were so foolish to choose Jesus as their teacher. And they hung around with him instead of going to the synagogues any longer to listen, listen to the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so in the... Jews' eyes, the Pharisees' eyes, that was a bad, bad, sinful choice. And then, of course, it's condemnation of Jesus because Jesus chose to associate with sinners. And you know the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. And so this whole thing was a mess in the eyes of the Pharisees. The disciples, the, uh, the publicans, Jesus, they lumped them all into the same group. And Jesus associates with all of these people because he's just like them. And that was an astounding accusation, astounding condemnation, especially in light of seeing all that Jesus could do. Preaching and with precision, knowing scriptures forward and backwards, healing sick people, casting out devils, calming the weather. But they missed all of that because of the prejudice. And they couldn't get beyond this of condemning Jesus' associations. They didn't have any solution for any of the problems that Jesus took care of. But instead, all they could do was to criticize those who did. Now, Matthew's a different person now. He's changed, and now he's become interested in the souls of men, but not the Pharisees. They, they really don't care. They're the religious crowd, but they don't, really don't care for the souls of people. And so do you see the self-righteousness? Can you see the conceit and the condemnation? And it reminds me of so many people that are in Christianity today. You have the nitpickers, the people that can find fault with everyone else, and they can condemn you from every conceivable angle, but they never see or recognize their own personal faults. One of the things that Jesus said about the Pharisees, and he had a lot to say about them in the Scriptures, but in the 23rd chapter of Matthew... He's speaking to them, and he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and ionize and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave, leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. These are people that are so picky that when they paid their tithes, they made sure that they figured it down to the exact penny. In those days, people would bring 
part of their crops as their tithe. And so they would bring the, the fruits of the harvest. And these Pharisees were so precise about this that they would count it down to the tiniest seeds and give the tiniest part of that to God. And they thought that because they were so careful about this and counting it all out, that that made them more righteous than others. Now, the contrast that Jesus makes here is that they are so careful about the nitpicking, but the more and most significant parts of the law, like judgment and mercy and fairness and compassion and having faith in God, they had abandoned. They didn't have any regard for that at all. And so they picked out the easier requirements. They picked out the thing that they could live by, and they set up their own standards, and they thought that's what made them righteous. And Jesus said, this is like straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, you really have to, I mean, this is, that's the source of the saying that we have today, and you really have to think about what he's saying here. They strained at the gnat. That means that when that little bitty gnat fell into their, to their cup, and that gnat was an unclean animal. The Jews were not allowed to ingest that, and so they were very careful to strain out that gnat But if a camel fell in there, they swallowed the whole thing. And so this was brilliant hyperbole that Jesus used. And I said, we still use it today. They strain out the little tiny gnat, but they swallow the largest unclean animal in Israel. And that's the camel. And again, it reminds me of people in church. They get mad over little bitty insignificant issues. They have a complaint against somebody. And rather than being a forgiving person which is a huge teaching in Scripture. One of the main things that we have in the Bible is that we ought to forgive one another. But people get angry about things and they walk out of the church and they won't return because somebody has committed a sin against them that they won't forgive. And then there are those that have abandoned church on little bitty issues that they disagree with, like whether you have a Christmas tree in the church or not. And so you have one of those, you don't have one of those, and people get upset about it. They make a complaint about it. And then they complain about people that aren't as holy as they think that they should be. And so what do they do? Well, they never go back to church. They forsake the assembling of themselves with the Lord's body, which is clearly commanded in the Scripture. And we're told that we are to meet with other Christians, we're to fellowship, we're to come here for instruction, and instead they're too angry at the church over some little thing that's happened, so they sit at home and they watch their TV preacher, or they put their CD in their, in their, in their uh, uh, stereo set, and they listen to that. And what they have done is they've strained the gnat and swallowed the camel. They've passed judgment on those that they think are not as holy as them, and they omit the significant teachings of the Word of God just to hold on to the little pet peeves and all of their prejudices. And I deal with that kind of thing all the time. Critical hypocrites that have a hundred issues in their own lives, but they hide behind their criticism of others. They look at the sins of others all of the time. And this is the very problem that the Pharisees had. They would never admit their sin. But Matthew was someone who recognized that, even though the Pharisees would never admit it. So no matter how much good that Jesus did, no matter how many people that he helped, no matter how many lives that were changed, these are people that are too self-righteous to admit there's anything wrong with them. Now that brings me to the call of the physician. Jesus overheard that question that was asked to the disciples, And in verse number 12, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, 
but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? And we're about to learn here why they didn't ask Jesus the question directly. They were no match for his logic. And so he shuts them down by comparing himself to a doctor. Now let's follow the logic of Jesus. The Pharisees are self-righteous in their eyes. They, they've done all these great works for God, ostensibly. They're a cut above everybody else. They despise the tax collectors. They're not like the thieves. They're not like the harlots, the prostitutes. They don't like anybody that's not exactly like them. They're way, way, way far above the rest of the crowd. And they are so far above everybody else. And everybody else is so wicked and so vile and so sick with sin that you wonder, who is it then that needs to be fixed? Where is Jesus going to go? The Pharisees are righteous. Where is he going to go? Who needs to be fixed? Where does the doctor spend his time? Does the doctor go to the country club, to the well-dressed and the physically fit? Well, today they do, actually. That's where you find them most of the time. Doctors are usually among the sick. You're not going to find the doctor at Planet Fitness or Gold's Gym, and he pulls out a stethoscope there, and he's checking everybody out running the treadmill to see if everybody's okay. I don't, when I go to see my doctor, I don't go to the gym to see him. I go to Kaiser. And when I go into that medical building, 99% of the people there are groaning and they are complaining. They're sneezing and they're limping. They're in wheelchairs. They're on crutches. They have canes. They're sick. And that's where I go to see the doctor because he's the one that can do something about it. He's among the sick people. A doctor does not spend all his time among healthy people. And that's as simple as it gets in Jesus' argument. A physician goes to heal sick people. And he's not going to hang around people that are well. And when the doctor goes to heal somebody or treat somebody that has an ear infection, you don't assume that the doctor also has an ear infection. And does he work in a medical building because he's sick? No, he he works there because that's where the sick people are. So do you see the logic of Jesus? If he's going to heal people of sin, where is he going to go? He has to go to sick people. Now watch what he says to the Pharisees. He says, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. So as long as the Pharisees kept saying, we're not sick, then they never had to worry about Jesus healing them. If I don't know I'm sick, I'm not going to go see the doctor. I don't like to sit in waiting rooms. I don't go over to Kaiser because I like to hang around with other sick people. And I'm not going to go see my doctor when I'm not sick because I don't like paying $80 to spend five minutes in conversation with him. And he doesn't want me to come there. I mean, he's not interested in talking to me if I'm not sick. That's not our place to hang out for conversation. So Jesus tells them, I'm not going to have anything to do with you unless you admit that you're sick. Unless you know that you are a sinner, don't come to me. And so do you see how that applies to you? Jesus wants nothing at all to do with you if you're not willing to admit that you're a sinner. Now, last week we talked about how people think that Christianity is for good people. It's pure fantasy to think that Christianity is for good people. Christianity is for sinners, for people that recognize they're sinners. Christianity is for sin-sick people. They know that they're dying of this dreaded disease, and they know they need to be healed. And every member of this church 
Everybody here that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have recognized that. At some point in your life, you said, I'm sick. I'm sick of sin, and I need to be healed from this. And there's something that we know about ourselves. All of us as Christians sitting here today, what do we know about ourselves? We're not better than anybody else out there. We're better than nobody that's on the outside. We were as sick as them. And we needed the physician's tender, loving care. And folks, did you know this? You still need him. Every single day of your life, you need him. You need to be healed from sin every day. Now, we do know this. Our souls, if you've received Christ as Savior, your soul has been saved from sin. You're not going to die from sin any longer, at least spiritually. You've come alive in Christ. You have your faith in him but you're still in the body, and you still struggle with sin. And so you need the great physician every single day of the week. And so you know what I'm going to do? I am going to go see my doctor. I am going to go sit in his office. I am going to go see Dr. Jesus, because he cares about every detail of my life. And I'm sick every day of my life when I'm not with him and paying attention to him and following him. And so I have to find him to be forgiven of my sins. Now, if you don't admit that, then don't ever think that you could become a Christian. If you think that you're better than somebody else, then don't bother to come to Christ. He's not in the business of dealing with healthy people. He works with sinners. Now, let me show you something else. Let's go over to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And uh, this entire chapter, Luke 15, deals with the subject that we're talking about now. And uh, we're not going to be able to deal with the whole chapter. But Jesus illustrated this point with three separate parables. We're only going to look at one of them. Luke 15, verse number 1. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now there you have the same situation that you have in Matthew 9. The tax collectors and the other sinners came to hear Jesus. And they came to him because they're not going to go to the Pharisees. If they got a problem, don't go to the Pharisees. The only thing you're going to get from them is further condemnation. So they go to Jesus. Now, notice verse 2, same complaint that we have in Matthew. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Same old condemnation of Jesus and his associations. So Jesus gives them a hard-hitting lesson, verse 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. What did the Pharisees think? We don't need to repent. We're okay. We're going to heaven Just like we are, we're just fine. And Jesus accepted that self-assessment. He didn't agree with it, but he accepted it. And he has no interest in them if they're already okay. The scripture says, Heaven rejoices when a sinner repents of their sin and has faith in Christ. Then they're saved from their sins. Heaven rejoices over the sinner that repents. Now, it might be strange for me to say it this way, but heaven is for sinners. 
Heaven's not for religious people. It's for sinners. Now pay attention so that you don't get confused. Jesus said, I came to call sinners to repentance. I did not come to call the righteous. And so heaven is not going to have one person there who thought that he was already good enough that he didn't need to repent of his sins. Every person in heaven was one time a sinner, and they admitted it, and they've been healed by Jesus Christ and the righteousness that ha- they have and uh, get from him through faith. Now, I want you to turn a few more pages over to Luke 18, and here we find another familiar story that we'll look at quickly. This is the contrast between the public and the Pharisee and the way that they prayed. And in Luke 18, verse number 9, it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, there again, exact parallel that we have in Matthew 9. People that think they're righteous and they don't need God's help. Verse 10, Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican the tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now there you find a man praying as if he's healthy. You think that this guy's already in heaven because he didn't come to ask God for anything. He just came to tell God what a fine Pharisee that he was. Look at, look at verse 13, the contrast. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So who is the one that God helps? It's the one that asks for mercy. It's the one who admits that he is a sinner, the one who knows that he is sick. And when he comes to God and asks for help, God is there to give him help. And so this is the man that went away justified, not the one who thought that he was already good enough. And so this is what Jesus told the Pharisees. This is what you have to learn, fellas. I came here to heal sick people. I came here to deal with them, not to bring well people into heaven. Then he said, in Matthew, back in Matthew 9, he says, Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. That's a quotation from Hosea 6, verse 6. Hosea said, quoting the words of God, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Jesus said, go and learn. And that's what a teacher would say to somebody who is already supposed to know this. These are people that are teaching others the Bible. They're already supposed to know this. And so what Jesus is doing, he's rebuking them. And he's saying, go back to the books and get this right. God says, I don't want your ritualistic religion. I don't want your form and your function. I don't want your rosary beads and your automatic genuflections and all of your candles. I don't want any of that. Sacrifice means nothing if you don't have a heart for God and if you're not like God. God wants you to give mercy like he gave mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so he says, if you think about bringing me a sacrifice and you don't have a change of heart, if you haven't repented of your sins, I hate your sacrifices. That's what Jesus says. 
And this is what the Pharisees did. They were people who kept all the sacrifices. They even added on top of the sacrifices. They did more and more things, adding to the law to do more, but their hearts were as cold as an iceberg. They never saw their religion in terms of sinfulness. They never dealt in terms of repentance. They had no love, they had no compassion, and they had no mercy for the fellow man. And they were like many people that you see in churches today. They go to church, and they kneel down, and they get up. And they kneel down, and they get up. And they kneel down, and they get up. They cross themselves, and they say they're Our Fathers, and they're Hail Marys. Or they repeat the Apostles' Creed, and they say the liturgy. But if you talk to them in terms of repentance from their sin and being forgiven of their sins and trusting Jesus Christ and coming to, to him in faith and in something that actually makes a change in your everyday life from what you were before, they have no idea what you're talking about because they don't think of religion in those terms. They think in religion of religion in terms of what they can do for God, all the rituals they keep, all the ceremonies they go through, And it's the very same problem of the Pharisees. So they kept looking down their long noses and they're completely oblivious to true righteousness. And they asked the question, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? And the answer to the question again, he came to call sinners and not the righteous to repentance. Now let me give you four statements that will summarize everything that we talked about in these messages. Four statements that summarizes it. Number one, Jesus heals sin-sick people. Jesus knows that you have a problem, and he has the power to take care of your sin problem. And what is your problem? Well, you're separated from God by your sin. You're sick to death. And Scripture says that you're going to die in your sins if you're not healed by Jesus. And Matthew shows us that Jesus is God, and he can forgive people of their sins. Number two, Jesus will not help you unless you admit your need. If you think that you're good enough to go to heaven the way that you are, then don't bother to come to Jesus. Don't bother with Christianity because God's not interested in people that aren't sick. Jesus died on the cross so that people could have their sins forgiven. And so if you don't need that, then you don't need Jesus and you don't need the cross. Number three... Jesus requires repentance before he begins the cure. He came to call us to repentance. And what does that mean? Well, it means people that are sorry for their sins, people that admit that they're wrong, people that will say, I will turn from my sins, I'll give them up, and I'll follow Jesus. I'll ask him to save me from my sins. So everybody that wants to go to heaven... Everybody does want to go to heaven, but Jesus only takes the ones that say, God, I have wronged you, and I want my life to change. And you won't be able to change it. But when you come to him in repentance and faith, he changes it for you. He turns you around. He makes you something new that you weren't before. But he's not going to do it until you admit your sin and determine that you're going to give it up. Now, number four, Jesus wants you to have a heart like God. Jesus wants you to have compassion like God has compassion. Jesus does not want you to condemn people. He wants you to go and give them the gospel of Christ. Go to them with the medicine that cured you. And you tell them that you were once in sin as they are, and Jesus took all of your burdens away. 
That's what Matthew did. That's why he had the dinner party. It was an occasion to bring his friends to Jesus so they could hear this wonderful news that Jesus forgives sin. Jesus saves sin-sick people. And he wants you to have a heart like God. And if you do, you'll want people to know that Jesus can heal sin-sick people. Now, what have we done today? Well, I've, I've told you what you came to church to hear. You, you came to learn what the Bible says. You come to have your faith increased. You come to have your zeal magnified. And in the process of doing that, what have we done? We've given the gospel. The gospel message has gone out. And this is what your church service has been designed to do, to teach you what to do in relation to Jesus Christ. So our job is to spread the gospel out there. Take it to your friends and your families and your co-workers because they need to know about Jesus. Have the compassion and the mercy of Christ to give people the gospel that will cure them of their sins. Jesus heals sin-sick people. Jesus will not help you unless you admit your need. Jesus requires repentance before he begins the cure. And Jesus wants you to have a heart for the lost like God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. I ask you that you would impress upon upon us the the great need that we have to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you yet as Savior, that they would admit that they are sin-sick, that they need to come to you with repentance and faith and ask Jesus to save them. Open someone's heart to the gospel today. And we pray for our people, those that already know you. I just ask you, Lord, that you put that burden upon every one of us that we want to see people to know, to know about their sins and to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. Help us to give that message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.